again. <clears throat> I'm going to read scripture. We're going to be in Mark 15. Yeah, there's Bibles in front of you, and I failed to find the number. Mark 15, verse 6 to 15. What page is it in front of you? 852? 852. All right. Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. Mark 15, 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and begged, began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did to them. He answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They cried out again, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So if I asked you what the universal symbol of Christianity is, you would think of the cross. And that literally is worldwide. That is just part of what we what we associate with Christianity. But have you ever thought, this, this is Good Friday. What, what is good about the Friday that Jesus dies? And he doesn't just die, but he's crucified as a terrorist on, on an implement of torture, right? And, in, and we have that implement of torture. So it, it, it's odd. I mean, if, I, if you came down from outer space and you can't, you're trying to figure out the human people and you're like, what, what's that? It's like, oh, that's what they kill people with. And let me tell you, you'd be like, wow. Except it's God in the flesh and what he accomplishes. So um, it is interesting. So why does Jesus do that is what we're talking about tonight. But think about the message of the gospels to the, to the first century people. It's an odd message because you have this your forgiveness of sin, your new life, your reconciliation to God is all about, it comes from the criminal, the terrorist on the cross. Do you have any idea how hard that would be to accept in that culture? It's just, it's about impossible. That's Mark's goal in his gospel is to get over that hump so that you can consider Jesus. Well, why was Jesus crucified? He failed to meet the expectations of the people. He messed with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. So remember up in Capernaum, he spent three years debating with the Pharisees. Twice they tried to save his life. Seven days with the Sanhedrin and he's dead. That's the power of the Sanhedrin. Remember that when Peter starts to mouth off to the Sanhedrin in about 12 minutes, all right? So uh, those are some reasons why Jesus was crucified, but the most important reason is God sent him to die. He was not a victim. It was not a super sad accident. It was very much on purpose. This was the plan. God loves us. He wants to close the gap 
that sin has created, and Jesus Christ is the only one that can close that gap and reconcile us, forgive our sin, and make us acceptable to God the Father through the death of the Son. We believe in Jesus' sacrifice, and we are his children. And that's a beautiful picture, and that's what's going on. So two questions, two questions tonight, all right? Um, who is Jesus to you, and what does the cross mean to you? Just going to quickly go through those two questions. The first century was a difficult century to live in. Very, very tumultuous, a lot of stress, famine, wars. Um, and, and most every group was expecting their own version of a Messiah. The Essenes, kind of a, a, a recluse group of people in Qumran. If you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, those are the guys that, that copied it. Um, they wanted a royal Messiah. They thought the Messiah was going to come and rule as a king. The Pharisees wanted a conquering Messiah. The Sadducees, they don't believe in angels, or, or they didn't want any Messiah. That's sad, you see. I can't resist. It helps. See, now you won't forget it. Um, but the disciples, the disciples, they want um, a ruling Messiah, and they want to rule with him. And this, this is their wavelength. Rule with the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come, and he's going to conquer Rome, and I'll have power next to him. And, and that comes up here in about nine minutes, all right? Anyway, um, but instead of marching to a, to a throne of power, Jesus marches to a cross of suffering, and that blows their minds. They just have no category for that, even though he told them multiple times. Check this out. I love Mark. I'm going to go to Mark 8, 9, and 10. But Mark 8, 31 and 32 he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. The next phrase, priceless. And he said this plainly. <laughs> you just know. I mean, after the fact, he's like, this is not rocket science. Gonna go, gonna die, gonna rise. They didn't expect a Messiah that was going to suffer. Even though Isaiah 53, does this sound familiar? Check this out. This is a prophecy about the suffering servant that applies to Jesus way back when in the Old Testament. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, like most people in the first century, Peter, the, the disciples, they all are, are thinking about a Messiah that's going to overthrow Rome, set things right, and have often wondered if there's a little bit of revenge fueling that vision of the Messiah that conquers Rome. I mean, how many times have these guys been harassed and overtaxed and abused by Rome Right? And now you're, you're entertaining this Messiah figure. You just, you, as human beings, I don't think there's a way to separate that, that notion of, you just wait. It'll be my, I don't know. I shouldn't read into the text. Let's just keep going. All right. But um, that's why their expectations of a ruling Messiah, that's why Peter rebukes Jesus. Right after Jesus says this, and he said this plainly, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. See, Jesus has a completely different operating system than the disciples. Causes some, some frustration. That was the first misconception. The second one is Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, here we go. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. When he's killed, after three days he will rise. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, they asked him, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Okay, so your rabbi is plainly stating, I'm going to be mistreated and die, and they can only think about who's the greatest. Is it me or is it you? Is it me? You? I'm better. It, it's just they get lost in that. Fascinating, right? They want a Messiah that will lead them to greatness, not a Messiah that will serve. Certainly not one that will suffer and die. The third misconception in Mark 10, verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and some who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen. See, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Did you notice that in each of those, he mentions the three days, and rise. But that, that doesn't make any sense. None of this makes any sense to them. You know, they're just like, just, you know, what, I don't know what he's talking about. Some just metaphor, spiritual, mumbo-jumbo, whatever, but let's just, let's go eat. You know, like, like, I just would love to be there when they're hearing these words and not, not understanding them to just like, what are you guys thinking about? Like, what did you hear and what, what do you think is going on? All right, um, and right then the next verse, um, Mark 10, verse 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Just let that sink in. Jesus, God in the flesh, three times has announced, I'm going to go, be betrayed, suffer, be crucified, rise. And, and, and they come up with, we want you to serve us. <laughs> and and like, like a parent of a, of a four-year-old, that, you know, the, the parent would be like, well, what, what, what do you want mommy to do, honey? Jesus, uh, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> you can just, right? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand, one on your left, in your glory. And by glory, they mean earthly kingdom. That's, that's the concept that they're talking about on, on the, you know, earthly power. Jesus is like, you have no idea what you're talking about. They wanted a Messiah that would serve their own aspirations. They have no interest in the aspirations of Jesus or God or the kingdom of heaven. Fascinating, isn't it? The more I read the Gospels, the more I'm just amazed at the patience of Jesus. Really, that is profound. So these are three misconceptions of the cross. They want the glory and the power, but they don't want the death. They want the glory and the power of resurrection, but they don't want the death, but... The life that God gives us in Scripture comes through death, comes through his death. And, and a lot of little deaths that we can die mimicking Jesus who died for us all. So back it up here. When Peter rebuked Jesus, instead of rebuking him 
for talking about suffering, Peter should have died to his own vision of what Jesus was up to and submitted to that. Uh, when they argued about who is the greatest, instead of arguing about that and honoring themselves, they should have died to their desire for honor and recognition, let that go, and submitted to God's plan for suffering and humility. When James and John asked to serve Jesus to serve them, instead of asking that and expecting that, they should have died for their desire to be great, to be powerful and significant, and to follow their rabbi. They've been following him for years. You think they would get it. But then we have the mirror. We look in, and we don't get it. Okay. So to them, Jesus was a ticket to an earthly kingdom of power. They didn't have interest in the kingdom that he was coming. So they were confused about Jesus. And so we can be confused about Jesus. Our culture can press in and shape our vision of what Jesus is to us. And you probably have mental movies of God. If God is good, he will do this and this, and that and that will never happen. If God is good, these things won't happen to me or people I love. They'll happen to other people far away, but not me and not those I love, if God is good. That's a warped view. Most of the people on the planet don't have that view because they live with profound suffering and abuse, and they just, they never make it that far. Next question is, what does the cross mean? Well, Jesus three times said what was going to happen, and he does exactly what he said. He's delivered to the chief priest in Jerusalem. He's condemned to death. He's delivered over to the Gentiles. They mocked him. They spat on him. They killed him, and he's crucified. The crucifixion, the, the Persians and the Greeks did this, but the Romans really perfected it. It was their favorite method of, of capital punishment. But typically only terrorists and really dangerous criminals um, were crucified, and those that posed a risk that could stir up a, a following. They did this as a public spectacle, all right? Uh, that you're thinking, well, just, why don't they just stone him? Stephen was stoned. But they don't want to just kill the person. They want to make a public statement, all right? Uh, increase the shame, hanging up there, and, you know, birds and animals, you know, um, finishing the job. They wanted the person to die in a particular way that sends a message, and the message is, do not believe this, the teachings of this man, or you will end up like this man. They usually crucified on public intersections, major public thoroughfares, and they would leave the body up there for days, and that's just a billboard. If you believe this person or this teaching, this is what you can expect from Rome. Anybody who opposes Rome, this is what happens. Now, imagine you're a disciple in that, in that first century. You've been following Jesus for three years, thinking that he's going to lead you to some kind of power, and this happens. <laughs> uh, there's, a quote, there's a quote from a historian in the in, um, New Testament world. He says, whenever we crucify the guilty, the most crowded roads are chosen where the most people can see and be moved by this fear, for penalties relate not so much to retribution as to their exemplary effect. They just want to freak everybody out. This is psychological warfare, okay? And we see that in Mark 15, verse 29. It says, those who passed by, public thoroughfare, those who passed by derided him, Jesus on the cross, wagging their he heads at him, saying, ah, 
you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. Thick irony. It's only by voluntarily staying on the cross that he's putting an end to the whole system in the Old Testament that was broken and bankrupt in the first place. So he stays on the cross. It's interesting that those who passed by, this is just crowds, just people, they used to delight in him. Remember, they, they were like, Hosanna, Hosanna, be our king now. Again, remember the palm branch had zealot connections. They want them to be the king now and move and start action, and he didn't do that. He didn't meet their expectations. Let me just pause and ask a, a, a pretty penetrating applicational question. Can you embrace Jesus if, when, he doesn't further your agenda? When your expectations fall flat, when those bad things happen to you or your family? Do, do you have, and no one's going to have this list, list written down, but do you have something floating around that maybe if this happens or that doesn't happen, you might be like, I'm not sure I want to follow a God like that. That's a profound question. We need to ask that question. Why did Jesus die? Sin had to be paid for. God is holy. He can't just wing it and say whatever you want. If, if, if he doesn't make this way, no one is redeemed and in his presence. He took our place on the cross. He suffered our punishment. He paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. That's what I'm trying to say. So, John 19, listen to this phrase as he's dying. After this, Jesus, knowing that it was all now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there. So he put a sponge full of sour wine and hyssop branch, held it to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, what, what was finished? He's not just talking about his life because he comes back to life. He's talking about the mission God sent him to redeem mankind by offering his body as a sacrifice. And so, what does the cross mean to Jesus? Well, <clears throat> if, if you understand Jesus as both God and man, the, the man side of Jesus, it means pain and humiliation. It's just, right? But the God side of Jesus is satisfaction in doing the job the Father asked him to do. Have you ever had a job and you just nailed it? And you're like, that's how you do that. You know what I mean? That, that's, this is, there's satisfaction there. I think that's interesting too, just a little side note. Jesus is following God's mission and he's ostracized and hated by people. It's possible to follow God and be ostracized and hated by people. Just let you know, in case you didn't know that yet. What does the cross mean to the disciples? It means fear and intimidation. Well, they killed their Messiah, and, and, and they stirred the pot. They poked the bear. They're messing with the Pharisees. They're messing with the Sanhedrin, and their leader's dead, and they're, they're left. Wow, what do you do? Shame, pain, humiliation, okay? And that's, that's captured at the end of Mark. Listen to the last, what I think is the last verse of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb. They had just visited the tomb, empty tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. End of Mark.
verses 9 to 20 are, are, are um, good evidence that those have been added because people don't like this ending. I mean, it's just like, well, you can't, you can't end on a negative note unless he wants to, unless he wants to just grab people and say, what is your response to this empty tomb? And the reality that your hero, the criminal on the cross, if you follow him, everyone else is going to hate you. Yeah, that's a problem. If you're a Roman person, this leads right into this. Um, Rome admired power, honor, and so the criminal on the cross, is, it, that's, that's a non-starter. So Mark has to do something special here, all right? Um, I've said this before, but um, if you choose not to worship Caesar and worship the Son of God from Nazareth, that's a political problem. In Rome, idolatry was, was throughout the entire society. Every, every guild had Roman gods that they worshipped. A guild was a group of artisans or craftsmen, okay? And within that guild, you would have specific vocations. Every vocation had their own separate Roman gods. You go home from work as a carpenter or as an artist, and your family has yet another Roman god that's your family Roman god. And every individual has to worship Caesar, the emperor, that's, that's your God. And so there's just multiple layers. And so if you unplug from that and say, I'm worshiping the criminal on the cross, kiss any professional development goodbye. You are not welcome in the guilds. You are not, you're probably going to lose your job. Your family's going to abandon you. Do you start to see why they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid? So to say yes to Jesus is to say no to professional advancement. To, to welcome or to experience social ostracism and, and political isolation. So these Roman readers would be repulsed by the cross, of course, but they'd be intrigued by what Mark is doing and how he show he's a good person. And he did this on purpose. I mean, he wasn't hogtied and dragged there. He, he let, and he, what? They, they would admire the honor and the integrity, the bravery of what he has done. In fact, Mark, half of Mark is the Passion Week. That's just, he, Mark starts off zipping all over the place, and then as he goes through, it starts to slow down, gets to Jerusalem, and then it, it ends up with hour by hour. This is specifically what happened at the cross, because that's their big hang-up. So he's going to really focus on, on the cross to help them undo the shame of the manner that, of Jesus' death. That's one of the goals for Mark's gospel. So he recasts the crucifixion um, as a coronation event. That's Mark 15. And all through Mark, he's, he's painted a picture that Jesus has been abandoned. The, those that, that passed by, uh, they mocked him. The chief priests mocked him one to another, saying he saved others. He can't save, save himself. And then in uh, verse 27, they crucified two robbers on his right and on his left. And those robber, robbers were zealots. And again, that's, that's guilt by association. Your hero is a terrorist like the zealots, Okay. The disciples had abandoned him. God himself, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the third set of three from noon to 3 p.m., the darkness, the sins of the world were pouring in on Jesus. And God the Father has to look away. And that's, I think, the most painful part. So the cross means Jesus was abandoned, but it means he was faithful it also means he disarmed the spiritual powers and authorities. And that's why we can have victory over spiritual darkness.
Colossians 2. You were once dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgotten our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. That's good news. So what does the cross mean to you? Jesus experienced shame and humiliation. We may experience shame and humiliation because of the cross. That's okay, because we're not alone. And whatever shame we experience, Christ has experienced exponentially. The disciples who followed experienced fear and intimidation. We may experience fear and intimidation, but we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit, we have each other, and, and Jesus has experienced this beforehand, and he comforts us and leads us in that. Roman citizens experienced all kinds of professional, political, social pushback, and we may, as, we may too, and that's okay. But it also means we can find forgiveness. We're not alone in whatever happens because of him. So I just, I want to ask you to draw near to him so that when those things happen, you, you're, you're already near to him. And it's so much quicker and easier to walk through those difficult times than, than like, whoa, bad stuff happening. This one guy, uh, four years ago, church, he said this, find Jesus. It, you can do it then. It's just easier if you walk with him day by day and bad stuff happens, you're closer to him, okay? So we're not alone. So why would you be interested in following the man on the cross? One, because he's God, he's not just a man. Thousands of other people have been crucified. No one knows anything about them. But this one is different because he's God who died willingly to please the Father because he loves us to bring us back into relationship with God the Father and not leave you alone to give us his Holy Spirit. Who's with us 24-7? Wow. So the disciples expected power, but they got problems. They expected opportunities with Jesus, but they got ostracism. And they had to repackage that after Sunday, if you know what I mean. So, are your expectations of God problematic? What mental movies do you have of what it means for him to love you, for you to follow him? This is, this is just raw reality. Not a pretty picture if you're in the first century and you want to choose Jesus. The rest of your life will be difficult. But you're not alone. You have fellowship, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have the love of the Father in you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you are doing right now. In my life, in the lives here, and those that we love that are all over the world, you are in the middle of drawing us closer to your heart. You're in the middle of redeeming us, of, of forming your image in us. And it just seems to take so long. So give us patience. Give us love for you, for your word, and for each other. Especially those that are close to us that maybe not as far along that journey as we think they should be. Help us just to love them as you love us break down some walls, and, and uh, we're grateful and thankful for your sacrifice for us. Amen.